Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 81, with my best friends, Rachel Grubbs and Dr. Scott Wright. How are you two doing today? Hello, hello. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, <sighs> retired executive director, TMDSAS, yep. kind of uh, the man, the myth, the legend. You, oh, well, you whatever. You know it all. You know the original all dean. I believe I referred to him as our pillar dean. And <laughs> what? The pillar dean. Okay. okay. Yes, the, the pillar dean. Uh, because Whoa, we do what happened? <laughs> Somebody clicked something. Okay. I didn't click anything. I didn't click anything. I, I don't think I did, but okay. <laughs> Maybe <fine>. I did. <laughs> um, Anyway, I'm going to go live here on Instagram. We should be rocking and rolling over there as well. Uh, And Rachel Grubbs, MCAT test prep uh, experts, pre-med experts, everything experts, um, all around awesome person. What's going on? Uh, It's going. Uh, It's going. Thanks for for calling me an awesome person. I'm feeling mostly awesome today. That's good. (laughs) Hey, that's better than the alternative. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, missing Verinia. <laughs> we yes. are. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, I'm super impressed with all the questions already coming in. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Everyone wants to come hang out with us today, which is great. We are here for you to answer your questions live here every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Yep. Uh, we are team mapped. Uh, if you don't know what mapped is, it is a uh, technology platform to help guide you on your path to medical school, PA school, uh, in the future, vet, dental, all of the, the pre-health uh, or health professional schools. Um, you can go create a free uh, account right now. Um, you can try all of the goodies at mapped for 30 days using that coupon code on the screen, 30 days free or, um, or, and after that, those 30 days, you can keep maps for free to continue to track your GPA and all of that good stuff. Uh, but if you want um, to chat with mapped advisors inside of mapped or track a bunch of other things and work on your applications all within mapped, then uh, sign up for a subscription. Yeah. That's what we got. Let's rock and roll. Let's all right. And roll. Let's see. Something's good. Leanne asks, hi, do med schools take average of every single time you retake a course? If so, when should I stop retaking classes? I'll be retaking for the third time now. Never received anything above a B minus. This is a very common and confusing kind of aspect of the medical school application. And I I think potentially comes from some lingering because it's only been a few years now where the DO application used to replace your older grade with the newer grade, not Mm -hmm. your worst grade with the better grade, but an older grade with a newer grade. And so 
potentially if people are out there Googling, trying to figure out, um, maybe they stumble across some of the, the old stuff from the, the DO application. But every class that you take goes on your transcript in the application. So if you got a C, then you get a D, then you get a B, then you get an A, you took it four times, all of those classes go in. And just because of math, being as wonderful it is, they average out, right? That's just yep. the way it works. But there, the medical schools aren't averaging that one specific class. They are, and maybe randomly they are, uh, behind the scenes. They're like, we want to look at your orgo. I see you retook it three times. Uh, you got a D and then a C and then an A. We're going to average orgo because maybe there's one medical school admissions committee out there that does prereq grades per class. I highly doubt that, but hey, anything's possible. Um, but yeah, every, every class is, is averaged. Every grade is averaged on the application, no matter what class. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Math. Yep. Yeah, and like you said, it's common. It's one of the most popular questions we get on math is, do I have to really list them all? Mm-hmm. Yes. All yeah, you do. And, you know, I would say, <laughs> I, I would also say to Leanne, R.S. Leanne, Sarah, um, Leanne, this is a, a time for reflection on your part to, to, to really, I mean, I understand your question with regard to, you know, do they average them and all that mechanical stuff, but this is a really important opportunity and necessity for you to really reflect on why am I not being successful in this class? Why can I not get above a B minus? Yep. Um, and that, that's what the medical schools are really going to want to d- dive into and understand better what, what's going on here that this particular class and maybe others for you or, or whatever are, are really providing such a challenge that it's, it's, it's making it difficult for you to score in, in really well in the class. And so I, I do think within yourself, with the help of advisors, both academic and your pre-med advisor and, and perhaps others, you really need to d- dive into understanding better what's going on and why this is, is kind of doing the thing it's doing for you. Yeah. Excellent point. There you go. All right. Esteem asks, I wanted to know if the Cope Health Scholars Program would be a credible way to receive clinical exposure since they require a fee to volunteer at their hospital. So, uh, Scott, how, how familiar, Rachel, how familiar are you all with Cope Health Scholars? Zero. Zero. So I, I'm very familiar with them. Rachel, what about you? Uh, I've Googled it and read a little on the <laughs> website, but yeah. I don't know. I don't have any firsthand knowledge. Yeah. So I, I'm familiar with them. I'm, I'm friendly with the people that run it. Um, students like Cope Health Scholars. And yes, it's a little strange um, because you pay a fee to, to go. Um, and it, it's a little weird because they're actually getting paid by the hospital to to place workers in the hospital. So it's, it's a weird business model. Um, but students are getting the experience and the exposure that, that they need to continue to confirm that this is what they want to do. So mm-hmm. if, if it's available and you want to do it, go for it. Uh, it's, just, it's a very interesting business model. <laughs> they, they, yeah. The hospital is basically saying, we need bodies. Um, mm-hmm. 
So they pay Copel Scholars to find those bodies. Copel Scholars charges you a fee to apply to be one of those bodies. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. So what I would do if, if I did that, what I would do on the application is I would say I volunteered at X hospital and leave out the whole thing about COPE and, uh, and not, I mean, I don't know, Ryan, what you th- think about that, but you know, my, my feeling is a lot of admissions people aren't going to know what yeah. COPE is to start with. <laughs> and if you volunteered at, you know, X general hospital, then that's the most important thing. And what you did at that hospital and, and you know, the fact that you're in this Cope Health Scholars Program and paid a fee is sort yeah. of irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd worry about it either way, but that is definitely one way if, if there's a question, because the this specific question that Asim asks is a credible way to receive. So there's some potential concern that medical schools are going to be like, wait a minute, why did you pay to do this? Mm-hmm. Although you have programs out there like Stanford, um, right. and I criticized them to their face at, at the UC Davis conference in person uh, a couple of years ago, the last one that was in person. Stanford has set up this like, come be a scribe with our Stanford doctors and they charge a crap ton of money for it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Um, so you're basically paying to go work for free. Um, and that to me is completely unethical. What they say in my mind, it's illegal because there are right in the business world. You always think about, Oh, come be a free intern, but that's illegal. If you're, if you're doing things that support the business, which medicine is a business, then mm-hmm. I don't know, it's weird unless they get away with it because they're not for profit. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. To me, the bigger challenge is creating an opportunity like that, that then just once more makes it harder to become a doctor. If you yeah. uh, aren't well, and it, yeah, ex- that's exactly. Yes. I agree with that. But yeah, with COPE, um, I agree. There's something about it that seems odd to me. Like, why are you paying people money to volunteer? But I think what you're really doing is paying for the time of organization and research. Someone's hooking you up with the opportunity. Someone's helping you get into your CPR certification class. Someone's getting you all your immunization shots that you're going to have to get before you go to med school anyway. So it's just getting a whole bunch of things off your to-do list with one program instead of having to research and do each one individually. Um, So, yeah, it seems fairly benign to me. Yeah, so they they charge an application fee and then a tuition fee um, as part of it. And and I think their reasoning behind it is, is, and and don't quote me on this, but I think uh, the tuition fee goes towards an actual certificate that you get um, from, I think, UCLA maybe. Uh, so their 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 reasoning behind the application fee, the tuition fee, is um, the the academic side of it. But don't quote me. All right, well, Copel Scholars, you got some uh, airtime from us today. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, laughs> not sponsored. I, I, it was just a question. <laughs> yeah. not sponsored. I, I know lots of people have done it, and lots of people that that love it. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sean, is this clinical? <laughs> In our next installment of Is This Clinical? <laughs> I, I check in patients, screen for COVID, take them to their doctor, provide companionship to them since no family is allowed in the clinic, and usually it's their first time getting chemo. Dr. Scott Wright, what's behind door number one? Um, I would call it clinical. I think you could make an... Um you could make an argument the other way, but I would say if I was putting this on the application, I would call it clinical. Yeah. Rachel, what do you think? 
Yeah, COVID screening. That sounds clinical to me. Yeah, COVID screening, hanging out with them. It's it's mm-hmm. a little bit less than uh, what's your insurance card? Okay, go have a seat. See you later. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is a good one where students very much will have this where it's like, is it, isn't, isn't it uh, kind of on the border? And then you look at their activity description and it's all the admin side of things like, right. oh, just focus on the clinical side of things right right you, right. you are the director I, and I, I i used this analogy the other day um uh, or metaphor whatever it is uh the other day because a director's job in a movie is to tell you the viewer the watcher of this movie um what to look at Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't like uh, if you go on YouTube, you can you can do uh, if you have like a VR headset or even on a regular computer, 360 camera and 360 videos. I don't like them because as a viewer, I don't know where to look. I don't know what's coming next. And the director tells me where to look. That's where the camera is focused. They're telling me, watch this. <laughs> There's something happening here. And so you are the director of your activity descriptions. Let the reader focus in on what you want them to look at. Absolutely. Excellent point. Yep. Oh, we can't hear you anymore. Well, Ryan, Ryan went away. Hi, sorry. Distract. There we go. NM323, I understand TMDSAS schools can see where I've interviewed at. If I have interviewed at one school and send them an LOI, letter of intent, I'm assuming, before pre-match ends, does this, does that look like a sign of desperation? Dun, dun, dun. Scott, TMDSAS expert. (laughs) So, yes, you're accurate that the the schools know, the TMDSAS schools know where you've applied within TMDSAS. They know what your what your status is at each school, you know, whether you've interviewed or been made an offer or, you know, those types of things, they know all of that. And, uh, but they don't know what your status is at non-TMDSAS schools. So any, any osteopathic schools that are not TMDSAS or any allopathic schools that are not. So I, I don't think that a, a letter of intent is going to look like a sign of desperation. I, I think, you know, you, you say it the way it is. I, I interviewed at your school. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I think I would do well within your curriculum and uh, I would come if you made an offer. And, and uh, so I, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I think you give the schools maybe sometimes a little bit more credit than they're due in terms of how much they're really going to ponder these types of questions. And so I think, you know, you just do it and they're going to take it at face value. So I, I, I wouldn't worry about that yeah, there was a, a reddit thread recently about um like don't send update letters because that's the surest way of getting a rejection two weeks later and a bunch of people chimed in and be like yep that happened to me that happened to me right uh, i think as pre-meds we need to start practicing uh science the correlation yes. doesn't equal causation right <laughs> Correct. It's amazing to me how students can go through four years of science curriculum and not get that. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It's the irony of we're always saying your story matters, but man, do people love anecdotes, right? And anecdotes are great for getting a feel for a situation, but they are not accurate sample sizes of data. That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) 
Maybe you go back and take stat again. <laughs> N, would schools theoretically offer a student less money and scholarships, merit, aid, if you have submitted a letter saying that you fully intend on going to that school if accepted? Anyway, so a, a kind of a f- good follow-up to our letter right. of intent conversation. This comes up all the time. Uh, when students on, on Reddit, Student Doctor Network, et cetera, are talking about one of the downfalls potentially of sending a letter of intent is basically like, I am professing my love for you. Therefore, you don't have to do anything to get me to come. Then the argument is, why would I do that if the school will then withhold scholarship or or bait really uh to say come come to us and here's why you should come to us because we're giving you 20 grand what do you think well i mean so my opinion here is and 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 i can just be honest about how we did it at southwestern and what i know of other schools and how they approach these questions that there is that, that yes merit aid and scholarships in part are for the purpose of attracting students to their school and i say in part very very intently because the schools are not just you know, I, I mean, what, what I guess what I'm trying to say is, at least in my experience, the schools are also trying to do what's right by the students. And mm-hmm. they're, 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 they're looking at the students and saying, you know, who really represents what we deem to be as, as, as valuable for, for merit or for scholarship. It's not all about just who's going to get, who can we get with this money? It's who can we benefit with this money? And, and, and I, and I think that what the, what the, what the medical schools are trying to do is reduce it for all students as much as possible, the amount of debt that they're going to incur during their experience. And so I don't think that, you know, I, I understand um, the question, but I, I don't think that it's, it, it makes the school sound very sort of kind of, I don't know what the right word is. You know what I'm saying, Rachel? I mean, it, it makes the school sound very um, evil or very, you know, focused yeah. completely on their own interests. And that's right. just not how it works. Right. Yep. So, that's my opinion. I, I just don't think that you should worry about that part of it. Theoretically, I guess that's possible, but in practice, I really don't think that's how it works. Yep. So. All right. Yep. Let's see here. So Fidat asks, most of the med schools I looked up have Orgo 2 as optional, a.k.a. they require two years of chem, Gen Chem 1 and 2, Orgo 1, and Biochem. Why is Orgo 2 still pushed as a prereq? I don't want to take it if it's not required. Thoughts? So, yeah, my thoughts for that are be careful when you say most of the med schools you looked up. I mean, there's 236. That might be true for the schools you've looked up. Um, generally, the rule of thumb is that you still need to get a year of general chemistry, a year of organic chemistry, and a semester of biochem. It does vary. There are some schools that are now saying um, 
exactly like you said, one semester of orgo, one semester of biochem. I've also still seen schools that are saying two years of orgo and aren't actually requiring biochem, although they might recommend it. So there's a lot of variation here. Um, And I I think for now, you should assume orgo two is required unless you have looked up every single school you intend to apply to and seen that for your personal school list and none of them are expecting it. Yeah, and and I would also say that your undergraduate institution might require two semesters of orgo to even get into biochem. So, you know, regardless of what the medical schools require, you might be required at your undergraduate institution to do the two semesters in order to even take biochem. So there's a lot of factors here. Yep. Yep. And good luck because orgo's tough. <laughs> right. All right. All right. Tareth says, I will start my junior year in winter 2022. I've been a bio major, but now I want to change it to biomed engineering because I'm really interested in it. Do you think it's too late to change my major? Wow, that's that's a tough question, because particularly into an engineering major. This is a question that you really need to de- delve into with your academic advisor at your undergraduate institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot. And I, the only reason I say that is because in my experience, a lot of engineering majors are almost five years in, to start with. And if you're mm-hmm. coming into that as a junior, it may shoot you into five, even six years to mm-hmm. even just to do that. So, Terth, you really need to visit with the academic advisor at your undergraduate institution and explore that with them and find out in terms of what the medical schools are going to look like. No, it's not too late. But, you know, in terms of you, how long it's going to take you to finish and depending on where you where it's what state you're in, there may be state requirements that dictate how many how many any credits you can accumulate before you start getting some onerous other, you know, things tacked on. I know here in Texas, if you get above a certain uh, number of credits uh, at the undergraduate level, they start charging you out-of-state tuition rates. Mm. Uh, So, you know, just be very careful with that and and really explore that at your your school. Yep. Good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. And if it really interests you, it might work out. But yeah, yeah. just making yeah. sure you know what your plan is. Yep, absolutely. I should unmute myself. Hello, I'm back. Uh, Anthony asks, do medical-related senior year classes such as advanced anatomy, pharmacology, and medical terminology make for a stronger application in the eyes of the admissions team? One of my favorite types of questions, I, I put this in the genre of tell me what to do. <laughs> no, Scott, I did not have to go tinkle. This um, <laughs> is a random comment pop up. Um, we, we have a, a visitor at the house. I just had to go. Um, the, the, the category of this is uh, tell me what to do to make me stand out. Right. And when you think about it, it's like, uh, and this is also along the term, uh, along the lines of, oh, if I come in already with medical knowledge, the medical schools will like me because they, they can put their feet up. They don't have to teach me as much because I already know it all, right? What, what are your thoughts on this type of question, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
Again, I think sometimes we give the admissions committees a little bit too much credit for how deeply they delve into the, 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 the minutia of your application. To this point, oh, he's taken, you know, because at the time you're applying as a senior, you're going to be in your application year or you're, you're going to be in the year already, typically. And so you're going to only say on your application, I plan to take anatomy, pharmacology, and medical terminology. And planned on classes are not the same as I already took this and here's my grade. Yep. And uh, so I, I think I, I think you need to, you know, if you're interested in these classes, go for it. You know, that's great. For your own benefit, uh, it's certainly not going to hurt your application. And, you know, it might, it might help it, but I don't think you should do it for the purpose of – the application itself. I think that smacks too much of check off a box. I took this, so I check off that box and, you know, it's going to make me look good. So, uh, you know, if you want to take it, take it, but don't do it because you think it's going to look good. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And and don't do it because you think uh, my, my last point was medical schools aren't looking for people who, already know medical terminology, right. already know anatomy, physiology, already know X, Y, Z. Like right. that's what medical school's for. Yep. Uh-huh. Just sit at home and watch sketchy videos. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, I mean, I have heard students say I want to take anatomy and phys- physiology so that I'm seeing it again in med school and that's fine. But yeah. Admissions committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different question. All right. Lowry, how badly does an uh, institutional action warning an unintentional plagiarism kill an app in your experience in your experience so to me we i think we've had this question before where it's like was it an institutional action or was it a warning mm. and lowry's yeah. saying here it's a warning therefore yeah, it's i would not say an that's institutional action right exactly i agree with that i completely aka agree with that. you don't need to put it on the application right yeah. Is this something where they should check in with the registrar and, and just uh, or whoever it is and say, is this going to show up if someone pulls my transcript? Yes, definitely. Because if it shows up on the transcript, you absolutely got to put it on the on the application. But yeah. I would say in this case, if it's a warning and it doesn't appear on the transcript anywhere, then I, I would say, no, don't put it on there because it's not an actual action. Yeah. Okay, so assuming it's not a warning and it is actually an action, then let's get to Lowry's question. How badly does it kill an app? No, I don't think it kills an app. Um, I think you explain it, particularly in this case where where if they define it as unintentional plagiarism, then I I think you just explain what happened and say, you know, and, and, and again, Ryan and I both talk about this a lot, which is timing is, is pretty important. If this, if this happened as a freshman, that's going to be, you know, a a lot different than if it happened as a junior or senior. But even in that case, unintentional plagiarism to me, that says, I didn't mean to do it. I maybe didn't even know I did it, but I did it. And so I learned from it and that's all I can say. So, yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. So I read that the other way. I don't know how plagiarism could be unintentional. Um, and, you know, Lowry or, you know, we'll have a story to tell, right? He's, he, yeah. if, if it's actually on his transcript, he's going to have to talk about it. But I would just want to make sure that there's no hint of, it wasn't my fault. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many students I've heard say, like, I got accused of cheating because I didn't know to have lots of tabs open during an online test. Yeah. Okay, well, it's 2021. <laughs> now we all know, right? No one gets yeah. that excuse anymore. It sounds yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I am not saying that that's what's happening here. I'm just saying yeah. that anytime somebody makes it sound like not my fault, I think, mm-hmm. yes. are you ready to talk about this in an adult way? Yep. So um, where where I've seen this type of language around before unintentional plagiarism is not properly citing something. Yeah. Um, and and right. that's where it's like, oh, like, OK. Yeah. yeah. So, Should have yeah. put that in quotes. Should have cited right. it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, yeah, Lowry, do some research here. Figure out mm-hmm. if it's actually on your re- on your transcript. Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right. Marie asks, I work as a scribe at a couple hospitals EDs and I do the medical school HQ e-shadowing. Should I try to find time for in-person shadowing experience too? Hmm. See. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, wouldn't spend like hours and hours and hours researching and trying and, you know, running into a brick wall constantly and, you know, just, you know, really beating yourself to death about trying to get it, trying to get it done. But I, I put in some effort and, and see if you can do it. And if so, yeah. great. And if not, I wouldn't worry about it. Scribing is one of the easiest ways, I think, especially in an ED, to get shadowing experience. And, and some schools will, will say, oh, scribing, yeah, we kind of consider that shadowing, so don't worry about it. But scribing is easy because all you really need to do is say, hey, Dr. Smith or hey, e- yep. e- ER manager, whoever, supervisor, after my shift, can I stay an extra hour or two? And just hang out. And instead of scribing, can I just tag along? Mm-hmm. Right. And you're already there. You're already yeah. allowed to be there and around patients and whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the easiest thing in my mind to do. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. Tarth asks, I'm an immigrant and started a nonprofit in the fall of 2021 to assist refugees and immigrants in the U.S. I am scared it's not or it's directly not related to healthcare. Should I hesitate to include it on my application? Absolutely not. No, everything right. doesn't have to be medically related, yeah. especially volunteerism and, you know, starting a, a nonprofit. That's cool stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big myth out there. It's like, oh, the 15 slots on the AMCAS application is only for medically related things. And therefore, I only have four. Nope. Yeah. Not the case. Not yeah, sure. we did a series, um, Scott led it, um, I guess two springs ago now, that was about the competencies that med schools are looking for. Yep. And there are lots of ways to prove those competencies. So. Yep. Activities that show teamwork, that show leadership, that show empathy, you know, those, those things can come from pre-med or non-pre-med activities. Absolutely. Valerie asks, what is the difference between volunteering and clinical hours? For example, I volunteer at a hospital at a COVID vax clinic. So would that be considered clinical as well? The common clinical volunteering confusion, Rachel, cleared up once and for all. The last time we'll ever talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) Or until a week or two. Okay, let's start with this. 
minutes. Any activity you do, whatever hour you're counting it to, you only count it in one category. So there might be some things that you could qualify under one or the other, but you're only going to count that hour once. Um, Clinical experience, which is sometimes called direct patient care experience, is really, really important. It is an absolute must for you on your journey to med school, not just because it looks good for applications, but because you, Valerie, have to prove that you really like clinical experience. So if you're doing something that could be counted as clinical, it can be paid or unpaid, and you can count it as clinical. But if you want to count it as volunteering instead for whatever reason, you will notice when you go to the AMCAS activities, there's clinical paid, there's clinical unpaid, and then there's volunteer community service. Um, You could put it under either, but I don't know why I would pick volunteering if it's clinical. Usually when we're talking about volunteering, that's community service. We're talking about doing work for underserved populations, for underrepresented people. So, you know, working in soup kitchens, habitat for humanity, that kind of thing. Yep. So, but don't worry about whether or not your clinical work is paid. Either yeah. paid or unpaid is great. Yep. Agreed. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. Here we go. Chop that one up. We'll put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> Never answer it again. Priscilla asks, if you're applying to only one school, home state cannot relocate. Should you apply early decision or wait to hire your chances on a scholarship? So, again, this is very interesting. So, this early decision scholarship connection is the same connection that students make with letters of interest or letters of intent and scholarship. Mm -hmm. Students will say, if I'm applying early decision, That's telling the medical schools that I really want to go to their school. Therefore, they have no incentive to offer me a scholarship. And I I, I don't think you can make that correlation. Um, So the question would be, um, what does the school do for early decision? Number one, do they offer early decision? Not every school does early decision. Uh, And number two, reach out to the admissions committee and say, like, hey, here's who I am. Uh, I'm planning on applying early decision. Like, let me know. Uh, some admissions committees I've, I've heard, uh, I've heard from students want to talk to students who are planning on applying early decision mm-hmm. um, to kind of weed out like, no, you shouldn't apply early decision or here's what you should do to set yourself up for success kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that completely. So but my, my, my initial reaction to this question is this is the kind of person that should apply early decision, um, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the school, of course. But if, if you know that this is a school you want to go to for whatever reason, this yeah. is where you want to go. That's what early decision is really created to do and for. And yeah. so I, I think I think my my guess is that, yes, that's going to be the, the, the appropriate direction. And then if you don't get in early decision, you go into the general pool later. So, yeah. Caleb, I plan on retaking calculus for the third time, and I have to take statistics and physics in my post back uh, in order to get a PAC into a PAC DPT program. How will these classes help in a DPT or PA career? So I'm less concerned about the classes and and more concerned potentially on, on where, at least where Caleb is in his, his training 
like being a physical therapist and being a PA are very, very hey, different things. Yeah. You need to figure that out first. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and those, those classes don't help in the career. Those Especially sure. calculus. I mean, <laughs> Especially, yeah. Stat probably helps a lot more than yeah. any, either one of the other ones. Geometry for, for maybe DPT where you're like, oh, the knee mm, and the angles. Right. and the <laughs> Yeah, that is unless we – I worked at an institution that offered a physics class on the physics of the human body. That's and cool. that was really super cool. It was a very popular class, mm-hmm. but it didn't count toward the physics requirement, which mm-hmm. is kind of screwy, but nonetheless. But I agree with you completely. PA and, and, and physical therapy are very different. And yeah. You need to figure that out. Yeah. And, and almost none, almost none, if not all of the classes that you take in undergrad have no bearing on your uh, career. Right. So don't don't take it. I, I don't know if he's asking the question as as in, wow, if I can't pass calculus two times, three times, whatever, therefore, I'm not going to be a good PA or a good DPT like that. There's no no correlation there. Right. Danny asked, I studied nursing school in another country, but I could not finish because I moved to the U.S. Should I include it on my application as clinical hours? So, yeah, if you did clinical sure. stuff, put it on there. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Um, yeah, if you're ner- yeah, if your nursing school included rotations or something, that's great. Um, our typical caveat for that is you should still get clinical here in the States Agreed. because you need to have clinical in in the U.S. in the place where you're going to be practicing medicine to see what it's like here. Yep. I'm pretty impressed, by the way, as a as a little side note, how many people we have watching us. You know, just a few days before you know Christmas, and we're in the midst of the holidays for a lot of different faiths, and uh, so I'm I'm very excited about how many people we got. Got on on the live show today. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, they don't have exams. They're right. done with school. Right. They got a little more free time in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe maybe they're on Instagram at the mall. You know, they're, they're <laughs> halfway watching that, halfway looking for presents at the last minute. Uh, IG's actually slacking. There's only a couple people on IG. Usually it's a lot more. Um, so I'll hang it on YouTube today. Leanne, uh, back again. I have 120 credits. Is it beneficial to get a post-bac or SMP currently sitting at a 2.4 cumulative? All right. So Leanne's asking the right question. She's like, I know my 2.4 is not good enough. What do I do next? Dr. Wright, the the, uh, historic SMP versus post-bac question. Yeah. So the first point I would make is the question says, is it beneficial? Absolutely. Uh, you know, with a 2.4 cum, you're you're not going to be going anywhere. You you need to show that you can do the 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 the, the work in a, at a high level. Now the question becomes: Do I do it in a postback program? Or do I do do I do it in a in a special master's program? And and I think that an argument could be made either direction on that. Um, I 
I like undergraduate postback programs, but I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that is that I'm opposed to SMPs. Some SMPs are, are great, um, and some postback programs are great. I, I think there are some postback programs that are created as cash cows for their um, undergraduate institution, and I've seen some that I wouldn't really want somebody to go to because that's why they were created, mm-hmm. and I don't think they really do what they what they. You know, anyway, I have a bad attitude about that. I'll admit that up front. <laughs> so, uh, but I would say look carefully. There's a lot of postback programs out there to look at and to, to evaluate and see what what's what. And uh, but yes, the question, the first question is yes, it's beneficial. The second question being post undergrad postback or SMP or whatever. And I would just say you need to look at it. Uh, some of it depends on your financial aid. Um, if you're in an undergraduate program, if you've maxed out your undergraduate financial aid in terms of federally funded stuff, uh, then you may be forced to go into a special master's program because other financial aid comes available in, in graduate programs. So there's that piece of the puzzle that you need to consider. Uh, and the, the, uh, S- the uh, post-bac programs or SMPs can help you kind of think through that and evaluate that. And so I would say uh, you need to look at all of it and see what's going to be going to be workable and best for you yeah 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 and i just realized why there's nobody watching on instagram because the my sound setup i did something different today nobody could hear they could see us but they couldn't oh. hear anything. <laughs> but hopefully they saw that rolling bar that said come join us on map.tv over on youtube <laughs> yeah. I, I had a pinned comment there too that said that. that's okay. funny <laughs> Caleb asks, I'm currently preparing to apply to medical school in the next cycle. I took several classes before going to college, so I'm graduating a year early. This means I will be applying at the age of 20. Is this a bad thing? (sighs) We get this a lot. Um, 17, 18, 19, 20, and some of those go-getters out there. Uh, who are trying to hurry up with their life. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, they're, they're just, they're roll, rocking and rolling. Scott, what, what, is, what are some negative things that could come from a, a younger applicant? Well, I, you know, I think applying as a 20-year-old is a lot different than applying as an 18-year-old. Um, it will be viewed very differently. And, you know, we had, I, I remember one year at UT Southwestern, we had triplets that were 16 that applied. And, uh, you know, incredible, obviously they're incredibly intelligent and all that stuff, but uh, that was, that was too young. And and we then made the rule that you had to be at least 18 to even apply. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but 20, I wouldn't worry about it too much. The big thing is always going to be maturity and they're going to be looking very much uh, deeper into the application to see what you've done. They're going to look very closely at the letters of recommendation to see if they have anything to say about level of maturity or, you know, abilities to communicate well and to act appropriately, you know, that kind of stuff. And then the interview is going to be very important uh, as it is with everybody. But one of the things in interview of a, of a younger student, is going to be looking at is is the level of maturity as as displayed in the uh, in the interview yeah my my biggest thing with younger applicants is usually have you had the time to confirm have you had the time to get the clinical experiences um, that you can then write about in your your essays and talk about in your interviews yep 
Okay, Erica, I thought you did that intentionally to get us to tune in on YouTube. That's a good trick. Maybe that's why we have so many people on YouTube today. (laughs) (laughs) Next time time I do it, I'll be like, no sound for you. Come to YouTube. (laughs) I'm here, but you can hear me. (laughs) I think you give Ryan a little bit too much credit. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding, everyone. I'm not being mean to Ryan. (laughs) Well, maybe Iaguayo, uh, if you want to attend medical school to become a physician, but another goal for my MD is to later in life become a dean of a medical school, is that uh, is it bad to mention this? Interesting. Hmm. What do you think? We need all types of people. I would say, so to that, I would say, I would not mention that your goal is to be a dean of a medical school. I would reframe it to say I'm interested in medical education. I would be very interested in going into uh, working at a medical school in the medical education part of the field and really work with students. And, you know, I would frame it that way as opposed to I want to be the dean. I want to be the boss. (laughs) Oh, power tripper, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, right, exactly. We definitely need people in medical education. This reminds me a little bit of when people say, well, I know I want to be a trauma surgeon and it's the only specialty I want to be in. So should I put that in my personal statement? Um, Well, I wouldn't put it in your personal statement because that's not what the question asks. But also just keep in mind that med schools know that usually once you get to med school, you change your mind about how you like you still want to be a doctor, but you change your mind about what kind of a doctor. So it's, it's good to show that humility. I'm, I'm going to get there and learn and we'll see where my path takes me. Even if you have an idea just to be open to change. Yeah. Guardbot, bachelor's uh, grad, 3.1 cumulative GPA from a foreign institution with lots of clinical and research. Just got admitted to a U.S. university and allowed to read as a freshman undergrad to continue or to apply to medical school. I have no idea what that question is. Oh, so by read, he just means start, like start as a freshman undergrad. So I think what, what Guard is asking is, can he apply to med right now or does he need to take courses at a U.S. university? And yeah, you guys are not right. So guard, unfortunately, U.S. med schools are very biased against foreign education. So unless that foreign institution is Canada, you are going to have to take some credits at a United States based uh, college or university before you can apply to med school here. Yeah. 90 ish. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I would just, just, I I would just plan on getting another degree, frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, Yep. Good luck. Sorry. Yeah, and, and the other degree potentially comes with the benefit, depending on how you've done it already. If you if you have, or maybe you haven't, you don't have to transfer those credits from your international institution to the U.S. Therefore, you can start here with a clean slate, mm-hmm. get a four and then that nobody knows about the three point one. Yep, that's exactly right. Luna's due to COVID my school allowed us to opt out of getting a letter grades and receive an S for satisfactory instead. How would that count towards cumulative GPA for medical school? It won't. It won't count. It's pass fail. Mm-hmm. Pass fail grades do not count towards your GPA. Now what about pass fail for prereqs? Is that going to be okay to have an S on a prereq? 
I think that depends on the school. Some schools are going to probably accept that. And, you know, within the context of COVID, I'd be kind of surprised if schools said, no, we won't accept a pass or an S. Uh, But, you know, it's completely up to them. Yep, Yep. it varies. Yeah. And related to that, similar question. Blake asks, how do ADCOMs view medical school prereqs taken at community college? I've never heard this question before. What's <laughs> community college? This is this is uh, this is our other kind of soup of the day uh, question. All right. Well, let's spotlight you. We'll put up a banner. We'll see if we can make a snippet out of it. <laughs> Why do I want Scott to answer it? He's... All right. Let's spotlight Scott. Wait, what? <laughs> I was being quiet. I didn't say anything. You're the academic expert. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the question is, adcoms uh, are very. It varies a lot um, in terms of how they're going to view that. Uh, I think most admissions committees are going to really look at how you did in the community college setting in terms of grades in your classes and how you did once you transfer to the university setting uh, in, in those classes. And if if you're consistent. Or, you know, if you go up, uh, then then that's going to be much better uh, than if you were making really good grades at community college and you got to university and, and the grades went down. That will be viewed as, as not, not great. Uh, you don't want that downward trend. You want it to be consistently good. Uh, you want to make sure that everything, you know, looks great. If you're making A's at community college, make A's at at university, uh, that's that's the goal there. But generally speaking, I think they're going to view the community college grades within that bigger context and try to understand uh, you as a person, not necessarily just oh he took you know community college grades or whatever. They're going to really be looking at uh, the bigger picture of it all. Great, thank you. Absolutely. Let's see. We're getting a lot of Merry Christmases and Happy New Year's, which is nice, but I'm just looking for other questions. Here we go. Mantos. Hey, Mantos is back. Um, (laughs) My prereqs. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, let me know. Uh, My (laughs) prereqs. What? What? Uh, Hey, Green did a video a few weeks ago that was like Ladyfingers. Mantos, and now that's just i assume that's a reference to that tiktok but that's also a very niche response to that name you also love hank green so i, don't I know. do i love me some green brothers yeah did, did you listen to their interview with ryan reynolds heck yeah i did hank's had a crush on ryan for years i was so excited for him that he got to have ryan on his show <laughs> well a lot of people have a crush on Ryan Reynolds. I'm just yeah, saying. mostly only straightish men who aren't as straight as they think. But yeah, a lot mm. of people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's ask answer Mantos' question. Mantos, uh, my prereqs don't have the classic biolg or chem class codes. For example, my OCHEM class has a FDSC class code. Would AMC look at all my class codes and wonder if they are science courses? You're not the only person from your school, Mantos, that has likely applied to medical school. So mm-hmm. have no fears. Um, what the AAMC does, Scott, you can talk about TMDSAS, but they have a team. Uh, unfortunately, AAMC's team is very small because they're very slow um, with their whole verification process. But they have a team that will look at that. And they, if you literally are the first person from that school that has applied, they'll go, oh, I've never seen this 
course classification. I've never seen this specific course before. Let me go pull up the syllabus. Let me go talk to the school. Let me go figure out what they're teaching and if it qualifies for X, Y, or Z. Yep. That's exactly how it works. Yep. All right. Here's a good one. Facebook user for the application Academy course, I'm assuming AA course. Uh, how does it work for those applying in 2022? Do we all go through the app cycle together since the course is about 10 months? Yeah, that's exactly how the course is formatted. At least for now um, we go together uh, and we start in January. We start working on personal statement and talking about all of everything that you need to know at that point in time. Uh, and, and we literally kind of go through the whole application and then interviews in a timely manner as a cohort. Uh, and so it worked really well last cycle and we're doing it again this next coming cycle. If you go to applicationacademy.com, you can uh, sign up and we start on the 18th. Awesome. It's going to be good. We're going to have yeah. even more office hours this year. Last year, Ryan did it solo. This year, Scott and Brittany and I are going to um, be a part of it. It's still going to be a lot of Ryan, um, but you'll have even more resources and even more people to do office hours, which means even more sessions of office hours each week. Mm-hmm. Um, try to make sure, although it's grouped, that there's as much time for live interaction as possible. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. Yeah. All right. It's, it's weird. I'm like, oh, yeah, AA. <laughs> Come to <laughs> AA with us. <laughs> Hello, my name is Scott. <laughs> and, and I, I am a free man. <laughs> Hello, Scott. I'm going to tell you about my story when I hit my pre med rock bottom and I got a B minus. <laughs> it works. It works. Oh, I should perfectly. not. I should not make fun. Okay. Uh, to, to, oh, one more application academy question. <laughs> uh, Vanity. Hello, uh, Dania. How are you? Uh, is there a syllabus for the application academy? I already have a January schedule and want to adjust ASAP. Um, so, not a syllabus per se, but um, I don't know if I put it on there already. I know I was working on. We're, we're switching platforms uh, for this next coming cycle. Uh, so, I, I put it on one platform, maybe not the other, but. No, there's not. And I will get one in, in the academy um, today uh, because I, we have a rough idea of what that looks like. It'll be Tuesday, um, Tuesday afternoons from three to five mountain, five to seven, I think. Um, uh, Eastern f- Friday from, I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, I was going to say Friday, one to three, potentially. Yeah. Um, I think and then Wednesdays, I think Eastern. six mountain. Yeah. And then Wednesdays, eight Eastern uh, for office hours, um, two hours, um, Tuesday, Friday, one to two ish hours, Wednesday, and then potentially TA office hours as well. We have a TA this, uh, this cohort, which is awesome. Yeah. And I want to get back to more pre-med questions, but just while we're quickly on Application Academy, we will post that schedule on applicationacademy.com as soon as it's firmed up. And then all of the sessions are available for replay. So um, some of them are going to be kind of lectury. Some are going to be group review. Some are going to be open Q&A. There'll be a mix. And uh, we'll make sure that you know the dates and times and that you have a sense. Um, Things may change because it's like any class. Sometimes the syllabus evolves based on how people are going, but we'll make sure that people have a, an idea of what to expect. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. 
Dietrich asks, I'm in non-trad working full-time as a scrub tech. Uh, it's very hard to find a volunteer position with my actual schedule. Um, where? Oh, they created a YouTube channel where they help people join the army. Is that? Oh, I see. It's a double. Volunteering. Uh, I feel like we kind of got at this just a few minutes ago, and maybe you missed that, Dietrich, but volunteering and clinical are not always the same. Volunteering can mean community service. It usually means helping people who are in underrepresented populations. So I don't know about recruiting for the Army. It's not really what I think of. I'm thinking about reaching out to groups of people and helping them and helping individuals as opposed to recruiting for the army, which you could see as potentially helping people find, find a purpose, but it's also helping the government. Um, so I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that that's what I would think about. I'm thinking about things that are more like look around your town or city or state. Who's really in need. What are you doing to help those groups? Yeah. That's and what I think of when I think of volunteer. My guess is that starting a YouTube channel was to be like, I'm going to blow up a YouTube channel and get lots of AdSense advertising to make money, which is obviously not volunteering. Um, but yeah, to, to your original point, Rachel, my, my guess is that the question is I work full time in, in a clinical setting, but I don't have time to get volunteer clinical uh, and you don't need to do that. Yeah. The clinical can be paid or free. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. right. Cool. One more quick one. Cool. Jessica asks, any advice for ending the personal statement? I feel like I know what I want to write about, but I'm not sure about tying it together and writing the ending. So there's this random book I found at the bookstore one day. Uh, I don't know who the author is, but it looks pretty good. Uh, the pre-made playbook guide to the medical school personal statement. Uh, the conclusion. The conclusion is, is kind of an important um, part of anything, how you, how you finish, finish strong. Um, but yeah, my, my, uh, how I teach students, how I, I tell them to, to write a conclusion is to go big, right? It big picture, what are you hoping to accomplish um, as a physician? I often tell students to think about what do you want your patients to say about you when you retire? Think kind of grandiose in that way of like, you are going to give me a diploma that will allow me to practice medicine. And here's my vision for how I'm going to take that and impact people. Love it. I love it too. And it's a good reminder that, hey, if you want more help with your personal statement. Application Academy. Application. (laughs) And not everyone likes group coaching, which Application Academy is. And so we do have um, uh, advisors for one-on-one stuff as well, including Dr. Wright and Rachel and Vernia, who's not here today. But Mm -hmm. uh, if you're looking for that as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, Facebook user says, can we purchase Application Academy up to the 18th? Yeah, uh, it'll be open probably through January, and then I'll, I'll shut it down a couple weeks in. That's what I did last year. Yep. All right. So uh, this is last Ask the Dean of 2021. We're going to take wow. next week off. Wow. Um, so as always, we love having you here with us, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on Wednesday, the 5th of January. Yeah. And happy holidays to everyone out happy there. Happy holidays. Yeah. Yep. Take care. Love Bye. you guys. Bye.
This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.